Hello and welcome. So happy to be joined today by Daniel Levin and a little bit about Daniel before we get started. Daniel walked away from an opportunity to run a billion dollar business, to hitchhike around the world, to find happiness and inner peace. He studied in a seminary for five years and left one day before becoming a rabbi. And he has lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. As director of business development, he grew Hay House from $3 million a year in sales to $100 million a year in revenue. Daniel is a rare blend of businessman and mystic. He is the author of The Mosaic, a life-changing fable that invites people to listen to those others do not hear and to see the situations in their life differently. So Daniel, thank you so much for taking this time. Um, I, uh, I like to start with this question that I'll ask you. Please. What matters to you? Well, first of all, decency matters. And I just want to thank you for having me on this. this and I don't want to overlook that because what a nice opportunity and honorable opportunity to be with you and sit here together and be able to share ourselves with each other. Mm. If you would have asked me what matters to me six months ago, I probably would have given you a different answer. But something happened in the last six months. Javi, I wish I knew how it happened. I wish I knew why it happened. I wish I could tell you what I did to make it happen, but I didn't really do anything. Somewhere along the line, this beautiful gift of love was dropped into a cardboard container that is me. And I was given the assignment to just deliver that gift everywhere I went. Make no mistake, I'm the cardboard box. I'm not the gift. The gift is what comes inside the cardboard box. So you know when you get something mailed to you and it's in a cardboard box, you rip open the box, you put that in the recycle bin and you look at the, and you, and you open it up and you enjoy the gift that's inside. Don't for a moment get lost in the cardboard box. The gift is what's important. I have no idea why it was dropped into my lap. I have no idea why it came. I don't, I don't think I did anything to merit it or deserve it. But I am a happy-go-lucky mailman now. And all I do is I take my cardboard box and everywhere I go, I drop it. I leave it. I watch people open the box. I collect my box and I leave the gift with them. And slowly, quickly, unbelievably, the gift of love is being delivered from house to house, room to room, location to location, business to business, city to city. And I just sit as a cardboard box and enjoy and marvel in the fact that I get to be a delivery man for it. Why is the distinction between the cardboard box and what's inside important for you to make? 
great question. I have watched, as you as you read, I had the opportunity to be at Hay House. I found some of the most beautiful people that you could ever find when they were nobody. And over the course of time, we developed and worked together and created a real following for them, a real teaching for them and a real place for them. And many of them now are talking to millions of people. I watched in spiritual community, beautiful, beautiful holy men. get a little too caught up in their press clippings. I've watched them stumble and I've watched them fall. Doesn't mean they're not holy men. Everybody makes mistakes. I, oh yeah, I, I look in the mirror and I see hundreds of thousands of them. But for me, my teacher, my guru, my God has sat with me and said, what is the difference between being the box that delivers the present and being the present? Very little. If you deliver love in this box that you then take with you when you go, but leave the present when you, for them, it's better to be the box. So for me to avoid the pitfall mm. and for me to really state it as a reality, there is nothing I've done that merits me being the gift. Anybody can be a cardboard box. Mm. And what I'm enlisting now is cardboard boxes because there's hundreds of thousands of gifts that want to be delivered, millions and millions of gifts. Because love doesn't care if you deserve it or not. Love doesn't care if you worked hard or not. Love doesn't care if you practice spirituality or don't. Love doesn't care if you're a good person or a bad person. Love doesn't care what religion you are, what color your skin is, how much money you make, what, you, what you've done to your kids, who's, who's messed up as a result of what you've done, how many people you irrefutably hurted, hurt, how many people you've loved, how, how long you've spent on the journey to get to where you're going. Love doesn't give a damn. Love knows only how to do one thing. And it loves you just because that's all it knows how to do. Hmm. I am not that. I, I, maybe one day that will happen. I am not that. I'm literally the box that delivers that place to place. Yeah, what, what I, I sense a certain amount of lightness that comes from that understanding. Like, I don't need to hold on to it like, like it's mine. It's not mine. And, and it begs me to question, like, what is ours anyway, right? Is, is there anything to take credit for, right? And, yeah. and I think our, our uh, social uh, construct really emphasizes the boxes themselves and what do the boxes look like and which box is better than the other box and, and, and all of that. 
And what I hear you saying a little bit is like, maybe the evolution is to shift to a new paradigm, so to speak. The, sh the shift is to enjoy the present. The boxer comes and means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's almost yeah, like, it's like a whole game. And there's, there's a much more fun game to play. <laughs> like why would you sit and play in a like kid, little kids when you open up the cardboard box they build tunnels out of it and forts and they do all that stuff but the gift for us is the is the love that's inside the gift for us is that beautiful beautiful love that will never leave us and when it's delivered to the foot to the feet of people when it's put on the table of households when it's put on the table of a boardroom people don't know what hit them because love itself is magical. Mm. I'm not magical. I'm flawed. I'm broken. I'm a cardboard box that's been retaped so many times that you can hardly tell what's what's cardboard and what's tape. Mm. And when my box wears out, there's more boxes. Mm. And that no box can contain that love. There need to be millions and billions of boxes going around this world. As soon as you say, and, and I watch it, we have a desire to pedestal people. People say to me, no, Danny, you're not the box. You're love, man. When you're in the room, I feel you. And it's just so loving and so care. Like we can feel it. It's, ta it's tangible. That's not me. That's love itself. Why personalize it and put it on this old broken down frame? Love's infinite. Love's, love's for everybody. Your love. I'm love. Everybody's love. But I, I prefer to be the box. So can you share a little bit more? Uh, you said six months or, or so ago, something happened to kind of redirect you. And, and it brought this clarity that I think you're sharing right now. So can you share a little bit more about what happened? I wish I could. Hmm. I, I, I don't know if I bumped into a stranger. I don't know if I woke up from a dream. I don't know if I turned around and hit into something that I didn't even see. All I know is from one moment to the next, I looked at myself and I said, whoa, what happened? Everything looks different. <laughs> I wish that I could say to you, that I did this and this and this and my rational mind, which is a brilliant mind. I have a brilliant mind. And I've tried to sat down and I said, okay, uh, I'll paint out the picture for you. This is what happened. I spent the last two and a half years just loving, holding space for people to love and accept them, listen to them and hear them and acknowledge and validate them. And so I bet the universe came to me and said, okay, Danny, since you've done that for all that time, we're going to do this back to you. We're going to love you and accept you. We're going to listen to you and hear you. We're going to acknowledge and validate you. It's just not true. Mm. That, is, that isn't what happened. I wish I could say to you, I meditated for 45 years. And because I meditated for 45 years, every day for 45 years, that's what brought it. But how come it didn't bring it one day before? It's just not, that isn't what happened. The only thing that I can say, and I wish it's so frustrating because I can't tell you how many times people say, well, come on, you're here. Like you got to something. Tell us how it happened. Get, like people want to know how they can, they can do it. All I can tell you is grace doesn't work that way. 
grace takes somebody that doesn't deserve it at all and puts a present in its cardboard box. I'm not it. Like all that, all that happened is when I wasn't looking, somebody dropped a package at my door. I'm doing the same thing right now to everybody who's listening. What did you do to deserve it? You can tell me, well, I've been a good guy. I've, li I've lived a good life. I've, you know, I studied in yoga. I do, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, I'm born again. I'm, what did you do to deserve it? There's a box sitting in front of your door. Someone decided to give you a gift. Not because you deserved it, but because it's just love. That's what love does. It loves for no reason and for every reason. And I laugh and I said, yeah, why, why would you pick an old broken down version like this? Come on, there's like the young sharp guys around there. They can, they can last it a whole lot longer. And they said, just don't worry about why. You just do your job. Just take the box wherever you go and set it down. So I'm curious, what has the past six months or so been like for you since receiving this gift? Tumultuous, beautiful, mm -hmm. exciting, crazy. I'm not sleeping. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I, listen. It's so important to me that you don't think anything more of me than what I actually am. I'm an old man with a broken down body that can barely get out of a chair. My knees are, are, are shot from playing too many sports, maybe. Um, my, my practice is I sit in this chair. I remember um, Man's Search for Meaning, the mm -hmm. guy who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. I can't remember his name now. Victor Frankel. Victor Frankel. When they came to Victor Frankel, they said to me, Mr. Frankel, how would you describe ecstasy? He said, spend six years in a concentration camp and you'll experience the most ecstatic ecstasy you could ever imagine. And people looked at him like, what are you crazy? That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. He said, all I can tell you is that's what happened to me. Hmm. I was there and all of a sudden out of nowhere, I was given this gift of ecstasy. And I realized that the things that happen to us don't matter. The meaning we put on them does. Where did that come from? I have no idea. What's happening for me right now is everything in my life changed. I run rooms in Clubhouse. I don't think I've ever mentioned in a room what I do for work. In the rooms that we moderate, we don't let people talk about what they do for work. We're not interested in what their work is. We're interested in who they are. But I've never said what I've done. I've had more offers in job in the job market than I've ever had in my life in the last six months. And I've done some amazing things in my life. 
there are things that are happening that are coming out of nowhere because love brings love. It's not anything that I'm, and literally, it's not anything I'm doing. It's just when, when, maybe, 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 like I'm searching for things to try and help to, to explain it because I would be frustrated listening to me. <laughs> and I am. I like, come on, Danny, your brain's not, you're not, you're not a stupid, stupid man. You can't just sit there and say nothing happened and all of a sudden this happened and now, and what are you leaving people with? That's terrible. But I'm leaving people with, for me, what's the truth? We've become too important. Hmm. When we just let love come into our lives, love takes us places we can never even imagine going. Love opens up doors that we didn't even that we thought were walls. Love introduces us to people that introduces to other people that introduces to other people that make incredible projects happen. Love creates relationships that are fulfilling and deep with strangers that you don't even know. I'm in relationship with a woman who lives, I think she lives in Italy. I don't even know where she lives, but I don't know that I've ever experienced as deep a relationship with someone that I've never met. We come together, Clubhouse is a space where people who don't know each other come into a room that doesn't exist. And we do an experiment in there. At a certain point in the two, in the one and a half hours that we're there, I'll say to people, okay, it's time. Let's just feel love. Let's just feel that love building up in our hearts. Just feel it. And people feel it. They feel it right away. People tell, tell us they walk into the room. They just, they're, they're met by this tangible feeling of love. How is that possible? We're on, we're on different continents. We don't know each other in a room that doesn't even exist. And I'll say to them, now take that love that you feel. And let's fill everybody in this room with that love. 20 seconds, go. And we spend 20 seconds filling the room with love. And I say, okay, now let's spend the last 10 seconds just receiving all the love that we gave. We gave it a lot out. Receive it back in. 10 seconds, go. The feeling is palpable. And I say to people, do me a favor. This is a beta test. I, I, I'm still trying to believe that this is possible. Will you click on your microphone and let me know, did you feel something in the room? It's, the room lights up like a Christmas tree. People are clicking on their microphones. So, Avi, how is it possible that a group of people who don't know each other can love each other so deeply in a room that doesn't even exist? They can feel it so tangibly that they come back again and again and again for that love. That can't be me. That's impossible that can be me. can be the box that I set on the table. It can be my invitation for them to play with it, yell at it, scream at it, fight with it, make love to it, be with it, do whatever you got to do. But don't ignore it. 
It's right here. Does connecting with this love, um, is it easier to happen maybe? Or is it more common for it to happen in silence and stillness? Like, is that, is that the experience a bit that when everything gets really quiet, their love comes flooding in? Maybe, but not necessarily. Here's, here, I am in dialogue with the love that is in my box. And every question I ask it, it confuses me more. (laughs) Because it doesn't have any rules. Mm. It, It doesn't care if you're noisy or quiet. It doesn't care if you fill yourself up with chaos and confusion. It doesn't care if you meditate 18 hours. It's like a fruit tree. A fruit tree only knows how to bear fruit. It doesn't care if there are good people underneath it or bad people underneath it. It doesn't care if there's anybody underneath it. It'll drop fruit anytime, anywhere, all the time. Love doesn't care who you are. We've been taught that we have to be good to have love. We have to be quiet. We have to be loving. We have to open up our heart. That's not the story I'm getting from it. And albeit I'm a little bit of a renegade, look at me. So perhaps I'm getting a renegade story. Perhaps, you know, if it would come to the church, the church would tell it, no, you got to come to church and you three times a day and you got to, you know, fast on, on Lent and you got to do whatever you got to do. Or on the, in Judaism, you got to do, you know, you got to, you God, you don't want to miss the day of atonement. You want to fast that. And you got to pray every Sabbath and you got to light the candles and you got to, you know, you can't eat meat with, with fish and with, with dairy. The story I'm getting, none of that. Love loves. It doesn't care what you think or what you believe. It loves you regardless. In a very human way, I had an experience. I've done a lot of things in this life. One of the things I did is I had a clothing business. When I left Hay House, I thought, if people are buying words in books, why wouldn't they buy words on clothing? No one had ever put words on clothing before. And I put words on clothing and I found Dr. Emoto, who'd done a study with water. And he, and he found that if you put a positive word under a glass of water, It'll change the water molecules in the glass. I said, why in the world would you do that? This body's 87% water. If we wore positive messages in our clothes, what would that do? He looked at me and in Japanese, translated through his translator said, Danny, you would change the molecular structure of people's bodies, just that simply. So I said, great, can I build your work by talking about it? I created a company called Sensei. And we put positive message, positive images. We hit them. We didn't even let people know they were there. We hit them inside the clothes. We put them outside the clothes. We did all different types of things. 
Neiman Marcus called me up out of the blue. I didn't answer their call. They called me five times and, and I said, I picked up the phone. I said, look, you've been calling me and calling me. You got the wrong number. I never, I never solicited you. They said, is this Zensei? I said, yes. How in the, what, what do you want? You, you got, like, I never came to you to sell to you. They said, our senior vice president found your clothes in a spa in Dallas. She came back and she yelled at us. She said, how in the world does a spa in Dallas have this? And we're Neiman friggin' Marcus. Get this guy here immediately. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. They said, you don't have to. Just bring your clothes, bring purchase orders. We're going to order you for 42 stores. I said, you're kidding. How many stores do you have? Just 42. I said, how is that possible? You want to test it. You want to put it in two or you, two of your A stores, two of your B stores, two of your... They said, Danny, don't worry. We, we're pretty good at this. At this. Love does things that you could never imagine. But my business went out of business. My manufacturers didn't make the clothes. And he left me with $300,000 worth of debt. My heart started to have palpitations. I couldn't pay those bills. I didn't have the money. I was scared. It was the first time in my life I had ever owed a lot of money. Into that situation, my wife walked into my life. She's 21 years younger than I, beautiful Argentine woman. I'm an old man, 21 years later. And she said, I just love you. I want to be with you. And I looked at her and I said, why in the world would you love me? I'm old, 21 years older than you. My health is, looks like it's, it's, my heart's going through arrhythmia because I'm, I'm anxious and, and I'm worried. After 45 years of meditating, my, this thing just knocked me off the loop. And I have no money. Why would you love me? She said, Danny, I've never been asked why I love somebody before. There's, we don't need a reason to love somebody. I love you because I love you. That one statement made me feel, it was like my phoenix rising. I felt invincible after that. And I said to myself, I wanna be able to give that feeling to people. I want people to feel their love for no reason. And I remember I was talking to somebody and I just said there, I just said there, I wish you could know how much I love you. I just love you. And she said, you're so full of it, Danny. You don't even know me. How can you love me? You have no idea who I am. You can't say I love you. Those are sacred words. You don't love me. And I looked at her and I said, I understand. So it's okay for me to hate you for no reason, but it's not okay for me to love you for no reason. I love you for no reason. And she said, I accept that. So maybe my wife initiated it. I don't know. I'm I'm still searching for what it would what it would have come, but that was eight years ago. Love everyone. Yeah. What a, what, what a practice. You know, I heard you this morning speaking about, I think you shared that there was some fear around being able to love those huge. You. Yeah to still love them, even, even though they feel animosity, hatred towards you, that can I love them anyway? 
yeah, it's I don't I don't have a fear about doing it. I just don't don't know if I'm capable of it. Mm. Like, and like, I love you for this for just this moment right now. Because what I realize in just this moment is why it's so important for me to be the box, not the not the lover. Because when I'm the lover, I have my own inadequacies. Like I was told when I finished writing the mosaic that the mosaic wanted me to go out to every place in the world. It wanted me to sit on street corners with the people nobody speaks to. And it wanted me to listen to the people nobody listens to. It wanted me to go into hospitals and prisons. It wanted me to go into education facilities, you know, schools. It wanted me to go into congregations where people love and sit with them and, and sing with them and listen to them and talk to them. But it wanted me to go where people hate as well. It wanted me to walk into Ku Klux Klan meetings and to places where, where people are really just are, are, are just are planning the destruction of people's lives. Because it wanted me to know and to test out the hypotheses that the only reason people go to violence is because they haven't been heard. I have a 31-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. I've never been able to have a conversation with her because she's the way she speaks, people can't understand her. So, but she expects me to understand her. We're so close. She just she counts on me to get it when nobody else can. Mm. But some and most but and sometimes I do, but most times I don't because I just don't understand her. So when does she'll she say you? something, does, does she, she understand, understand you? Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Mm. It's hard to know because I can't, I can't get, you know. Someone told me she's like a receiving station. She can't block everything that happens comes right through her. So when you're like that, she built, I, they told me she built walls around herself to protect her because that's just too, too uh, hard for her. What I realized is when she spoke to me and I didn't get it, she would yell. When she yelled and I didn't get it, she would tantrum. And when she tantrumed and she, I didn't get it, she would attack. And Abby, this went on for about 15 years. And I couldn't understand it. I couldn't get it. Finally, one day she was running at me in rage to try to attack me, rip my shirt or bite me or do something. And I just sat there and she let me catch her eyes. And I caught her eyes and I said, Elisa, you know I love you more than anything in the world. I would give everything I have to understand those six words you're trying to tell me. I just can't understand them. Will you do me a favor? Speak to me without words. She stopped dead in her tracks. The look of rage on her face turned into the smile that just melted my soul. And for the first time ever, she spoke three words in perfect English. She said, I am daddy. I said, I'm sorry, what the expletive deleted are you talking about? You are daddy. How are you doing that? And she put a finger to the side of her head. And I, I, it made me believe that what she was saying was that she was, trend, she was putting thoughts into my head. She was talking to me telepathically, and she had been. And there had been times where I remember feeling that she was, but I just didn't trust it. I didn't even trust it when she did it now. 
So I looked at her and I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head? And she started laughing and laughing and laughing with all this relief of all these years of finally she got through to me. And she said, yes, daddy, yes, daddy, yes, daddy. We laughed for about 20 minutes nonstop contagiously. She would stop, I would keep going. I, she, I would stop, she would keep going. We just couldn't stop laughing, 20 minutes long. What I noticed after the end of that incident, she hasn't once yelled tantrum or attacked again. Mm. Now, I don't understand every time she puts a thought in my head. I understand a lot more than I used to. But we found our way. We found some way that she could communicate to me. If that were the end of the story, I would feel fabulous. I have my daughter back. I can actually hear her and understand her. And she can get my words. And I can talk to her. And I can get if she gets me or not you know, we can never have this conversation, but around simple things we can. But I got greedy. I said, I wonder if that same thing doesn't happen in prisons, in education, in businesses, in government. Look at our government situation. Who's listening to anybody? All they're doing is yelling. When they don't, when they yell and they don't get it, they tantrum. They try and create havoc and chaos. When Kendrick doesn't work, they try and attack. It's happening everywhere. So how ironic would it be if a 31-year-old girl who never had an opportunity to have a conversation in her life would give over a technique that would allow us to have real conversation and real understanding? The technique is speak, yell, tantrum, attack. And you watch it, it happens in every single institution, every single religion, every single organization, every single family, every single business. And if you can stop it, you can notice it and stop it and retrofit it back and just say, hold on, you're trying to say something to me and I'm not hearing it. Can you try and say it to me a different way? We might end all suffering, just that simple. Are those actions possibly a search for love? That that's that's what's happening. I'm I'm tantruming, um, attacking, trying to get love, and then once I receive the love and feel the love inside, there's perhaps that not not that need anymore to keep doing those things. Maybe I. If I'm guilty of one thing, I'm supremely guilty of loving my daughter unconditionally. And she knows that. But I think there's something more. I think we have, I think we have this guttural desire to be seen and heard, to be listened to, to be accepted, to be acknowledged to be validated for what we believe. Love is one of the six things that I practice now. It's, you know, we want to be loved and accepted. I want to hold the space for people to feel listened to and heard. I want to hold the space for them to be acknowledged and validated. And I always understood love and accepted is super important. I mean, everybody wants to be loved and accepted. Everybody wants that. I can't think of anybody who doesn't. Everybody wants to be listened to and heard. 
but I wondered why acknowledge and validate it so much. Mm. But but we love it's we feel so good when we're acknowledged. When when you can say something to me and I can say, I get what you're saying. I acknowledge that's what you believe. I may not believe that way, but I want you to know I acknowledge that's what you believe. And I and I and I think and I validate you for believing that. Not that you need my validation, but I want you to know you have every right in the world to believe what you want to believe and say what you want to say and do what you want to say. And I give you that right and I give you that honor and I'm holding the space for you to do that right here, right now with me. What I never expected to happen is that when people felt loved and accepted and listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated, it's almost like the walls that they put around themselves have, have their own consciousness. And they realize they didn't need to protect them from any from anything anymore. Not this moment, not this time. And this one, and rested. And boy, were they tired. Mm. They've been up for so long protecting them. They were happy to take the rest. And suddenly when we stood with neither one of us having walls around us, most of our interactions are my wall meets your wall. And we wonder why we don't have intimacy because I'm just protecting myself and you're protecting yourself. And we just, oh, good. There we are. We met each other. Good. Nice to meet you. But we're hiding, shriveled up and behind the wall, hoping you won't look over and see him. You see me. But when those walls come down and you see me, in my emptiness and my fullness. And we get the chance to look at each other and hold each other and say, I love you now and accept you. I want to hear who you are and I want to listen to you. I want to acknowledge you and validate you. What I'm watching is two becomes one. Mm. Suddenly there is no difference. It's just <laughs> the molecules meet because there's nothing that separates them boxes merge together boxes merge together <laughs> whatever <laughs> but it, it's the most beautiful moment that i've ever seen and i never ever saw it coming mm. i just said god i've been around the world i've sat with the richest people in the world i've sat with the poorest people in the world and every one of them wanted the same thing, three things. They wanted to be loved and accepted, listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated. And I realized I could do that. I used to be a great fixer. People would come to me and say, fix my business, fix my life, fix my family, fix it. I hated it because it didn't need to be fixed. All it needed to was love. So I traded in my fixer black for a lover black. And all I do now, I don't even do the loving. I just put the box with the love in it. And I say, here you are. Have at it. Enjoy it. I might hang around and share it with you because I love I love the feeling of being loved with you. My sense right now is that, that you are just lit with this fire. Yeah. You're totally lit with this fire. And... Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, listening to you, it seems like there isn't even a choice now. Like this is just love is moving you in this direction to share itself, right? Yeah. But um, there's there's some kind of, it, it, I sense a great purpose 
to your actions now. Do you, do you feel that? Um, if I tend to get important, yes. If I tend to be just a delivery boy, no. I but mean, to, to be the delivery boy, like it, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're going out, you're delivering a lot of mail right now. Just knowing what you're doing, spending your time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any other choice, but you know what? If I, if I were to fall over and die tomorrow, love will find another delivery boy. Hopefully they'll find millions of delivery boys, billions of delivery boys. What, what's happened for me in this whole process is it's made me not important. We're not important. We think we're so important. We think, oh God, you know, you are doing this and I, and, and you're like this, how can this go on without you? Even my fear that I spoke about today, my scare, like I'm just scared that I won't be enough, that I won't, that I'll get into that room. And I'm not scared of people killing me or attacking me or, or maiming me or injuring me. Who cares? It's just, you know, it's meat. What I'm worried about is that I won't have the connection with the love in my box to be able when people are yelling at me and, 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 and wanting to harm me, to be able to hold and say, that's okay. Whatever you do to me, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Because I know what love can do if it's meant to do it. And I mean, my wife said to me, what do you think you are, some sort of saint? You know, what are you trying to be? And I said, I, I would like to be a saint, I guess. I don't know it, but I could care less. All I want to be is a mailman. If I were to write the mosaic now, there would definitely be a mailman as one of my characters. <laughs> because that's been the most important thing. But my characters in the book are all common, ordinary people. They're a trash man. They're a blind woman. They're a homeless guy. And I Go think this, this, this leads into the mosaic that you're speaking of. Yeah. What, what is the mosaic? <laughs> oh, God, if I would have known what was coming when that came to me, I would have tried to deny it. Hmm. I mean, it, it was, I thought it was going to be a story. Like, I was, I was getting old. And I thought to myself, I probably should write something for the kids or something, just leave some sort of legacy for anybody who knows me of what I'm doing. And I wrote a different book. I wrote a book called V2, what the second version of your life would look like. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to a friend of mine and she said, beautiful book, Danny, but this book isn't yours. And I said, I'm sorry, what does that mean? Do you think I plagiarized it? She said, no, no, the ideas are great, but this is a self-help book. Why are you writing a self-help book? You don't even believe in self-help. You don't believe anybody needs to be fixed. Why are you writing a fix-it book? And I said, well, I was at Hay House. I sort of know the formula. I know the way to do it. She said, BS, that's not your book. She said, Danny, you're a storyteller. Tell stories. And I looked at her. You know, I'm a guy guy. At the end of it, I'm a guy guy. And I looked at her. I said, so what do you want me to do? Write a friggin' fable? You know, totally joking. And she said, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And I fought her for pr probably a minute and a half, two minutes. Until I realized, hold it. That's brilliant. 
Because when you tell a story, you're not teaching anybody anything. You just set the story in front of them and allow it to unfold a lot like a box of love. You just set the box there and let it happen. You tell the story. And then telling the story, the minute it leaves my mouth and enters your ears, you hear a different story than the one I'm telling, no matter what. Because your experience comes into it. So it's a, it's a story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. My story. And he asks the adults where his parents are, and they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So the little boy sets out in search of the place called heaven. But the people he meets are not the swamis and the gurus and the shamans and the priests and the uh, aboriginal elders and the, and the rabbis and the ministers. He meets a blind woman, a homeless guy, a, a trash man, and a road worker, a juice man, and a waitress, and a gardener, and a thief. And he says, what the heck? What am I meeting these people for? Like, who are these people? What are they going to show me about heaven? And he hears an inner voice say to him, just sit with them and listen to their stories. Avi, in 100% of the cases, every time he listened to their story, what he found is his first perception of them was not, wasn't even close to who they were. When he heard the stories of who they were, they became entirely different people to him. And after it happened over and over and over and over and over and over, you get the idea. Happened a lot of times. Same result. He looked at himself and he said, I wonder if I see anything the way it is. Or do I see everything the way I am? And at that moment, he looked to his right and he saw a monk unzipping the sky and inviting him to walk through the sky into a parallel reality. And he went with that monk. And he met the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic arranging all the pieces of everybody's life and just making these connections happen and things happen. And he realized every, everybody was one connection away. Wherever you are right now, you're one piece away from being in a totally different reality. You're one shift, one move. You're not like a jigsaw puzzle that has to be in the same place where you're put in order for you. Your mosaic piece, you can crack it, you can break it, you can do whatever you want and you can put it in any place you want. You're one move away from an entirely different world. One opportunity, one space, one call. The wise one gave him a tap on the forehead. He experienced the incredible oneness of all reality. He had no idea what body he was in, what breath he was taking. He had no idea where he was, whether it was day or night, what galaxy he was in. Everything merged into one until he woke up on a street corner next to a mosaic maker, a street artist making mosaics on the street. Each person, as ordinary as they are, it's not the wisdom that they tell. If you just look at their lives, their lives teach us. A trash man picks up all your all your garbage every week. He comes every Friday. In our neighborhood, every Friday, the trash man comes. We get to put out everything that we don't want into these cans that the trash man just takes. Well, in the mosaic, the trash man takes more than just your physical garbage. 
He takes any belief systems, any mental, any mental fogginess. He takes any, any thoughts of anger. He takes any feelings that you have, anything that keeps you from having the desired result you want, you can just put it into his trash can. And if you go to the mosaiconline.com and go to the blog section, you scroll down and there'll be a trash man meditation there. And the trash man will take all your garbage whenever you want. You can call him five times a day if you want. He'll come and he'll take everything away from you. Because what he wants you to realize is what it feels like for one moment to not have to carry all that stuff around with you. You can go back to the cans. He hasn't put it in the truck yet. You can go back to the cans anytime you want and take it back. But can you imagine? He just wants you to know this is what it feels like when you don't have that. If my son told me he wanted to be that trash man, I would, I would give him every dollar I have to become that trash man. Most people think the trash man's the lowest job in the world. Not me. Not after I met this trash man. So the beauty of the mosaic is that nothing is as it seems. It's a return to the beauty of the ordinary. It's a story about loss and reconciliation. But there's another story. There's a story in the spaces between the words that's become even more important to me than the words of the stories. The spaces in between the words are the interruption of our stories. And so many of us have so many stories that if we would just grow the spaces between our words and allow an interruption to our stories, what we might just find if the space becomes long enough and wide enough, this space tells us a whole new story. And the healing to our problems is in the spaces between the words that we tell our problems in. It's just that easy. We think it's so complicated. We think it's so hard. Space, space is this amazing gift that we don't take time for. We fill it up with so many different things. I know you guys don't, You're, you have your practice there. What a beautiful practice at the ashram there. I, I promised you I'd tell you a quick story. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, I, I was going to ask that about Swami Sachinananda, yeah? Yeah, so I used to live at Ananda and Sachinananda came to Ananda when I was there. And anybody who knows Sachinananda knows, like if God were to pick a form to look like, he would look like Sachinananda. I mean, he just had, <laughs> Sachinananda just has this look of just this beautiful, reverent being, you know, that just glides through the through his, his existence. And his whole face, his countenance, his, whole, his hair, his beard, everything about him looks like God. And when he was with us, he and Kriyananda were giving a, giving a presentation. And he looked and he said, you know, God really made one big mistake. <laughs> he said, if he would have given you my look or me, your voice, we could have been God. But he gave, I look like God and you have the voice of God. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish we could have been to be together more often <laughs> because your sound is just so beautiful. 
And, and it was true. Kriyananda had this beautiful melodic voice. Not that Satchananda didn't, but he had he had this beautiful look. And so it was just, they loved each other. They were dear friends. And I don't know that they saw each other all that much, but they loved each other. And we I, we loved touring him around Ananda when he was there. It was just fabulous. I love that story. And it makes me just consider that we're all in this together. Right? It's not about any any one of us. It is this, it's this mosaic, right? And yes. we each are a different piece in it. And, and it's one wonderful. And for me too, you know, it, I don't feel pressure knowing that, that I'm just, I'm a little part of it and I'm totally fine with that. And, you know, linked up to all these other humans, species even, that are all yeah. taking, taking part in it as well. Yeah. Each piece, P-I-E-C-E, needs to have its own piece, P-E-A-C-E. Mm. And when you bring the piece of each piece together, you create a resounding piece. It's called the mosaic. <laughs> oh, Danny, that's such a beautiful place, I think, for us to, to end. Um, if, uh, if someone would like to uh, spend more time with you, so to speak, find out more, what's the best way for them to do so that. you can go onto my website danielbrucelevin.com on there is a link to have a free 30-minute conversation with me i just love listening to people and holding the space for them to be loved and accepted listened to and heard acknowledged and validated so you're more than welcome to come on and sign up and just have a, a it's a calendar link you just come and i don't try and upsell you there's no programs that i'm doing i don't even have programs you can get the mosaic book or audio book on amazon it's the easiest best way to get it um and we're going to be doing some neat things we're uh, we're running out of time and i have to be somewhere and you do too but we're creating an nft which is going to be amazing so um we're going we're bringing a convergence of art music and publishing it's the first time Publishing will ever be part of an NFT. And it's going to be gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous about a story of a vase that was that was created. Gorgeous vase and given to the royal family because this region always, this story from the mosaic, this region always won the competition every year because it had the best artisans of pottery. And the king was handing it to the royal family and one of the royal family dropped it. And it shattered and it was the night before the competition and they were forlorn thinking how in the world would they ever, what will they do? And the king decided just to tell the story to the people. And as he was leaving the following morning, this little old man came and said, I have to see the king. I have to see the king. And the guards people said, old man, go away. You can't see the king. He's forlorn. He's not going to see anybody. And he said, I have to see the king. And the king overheard his voice. And he said, let him in. What, what can I lose? Everything's destroyed now anyway. The old man brought him the vase. He had glued it together with the glue of gold, that Japanese story. And the, the, the glue he used was gold, 24 karat gold glue. And now the vase looked even more magnificent than it ever had before. And so we're creating an NFT around that story that we all believe we are this beautiful, beautiful something. And then something happens and we get broken 
and we feel like we will never recover. But when we're put back together, we're stronger and more beautiful than we've ever been. And we're doing that through music, through art, and through story. So stay in touch, and we'll let you know when that's happening. Hope We're hoping it's going to be released May 1st. Danny, I love you so much. And I just thank yeah. you for, for, sharing, for sharing the gift that you've received. It's my honor. I can't go anywhere without it. And I love giving it to you. Everybody here, enjoy it. I have to go, but it will stay with you forever. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.